0: You're listening to the Church of the Redeemer Sermon Podcast. Join us at our 10 a.m. worship gathering in Alcoa, Tennessee. Visit us at churchotr.com for more info and to hear other sermons in this series. Well, as you know, we have been going through the book of Luke, and uh, our uh, it's a little bit of an awkward ending because we skipped ahead to kind of plan and get around Easter. And then at the same time, uh, today we are finishing the book of Luke, but then we'll be skipping back to chapters 12 uh, and through 22. Um, and so today uh, we're actually reading uh, just a brief uh, few verses um, on Jesus' ascent- uh, ascension. So uh, Luke 24, uh, 50 through 53. Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the gospel of Christ. Have you ever known something is coming and are still yet surprised and filled with wonder and joy by it? I think there's a couple different things that come to mind. I think when I first got my driver's license, and you know, you're driving with other people or with your parents, it's kind of like the first time you actually can drive by yourself. And I remember I drove out, and this was just south of Indianapolis, in the the countryside, and felt so free, and was so excited, and was like, yes, this is so far better than what I thought it was going to be. Or maybe uh, what comes to mind is another day of seminary. When I graduated seminary, just the graduation ceremony, you know, is so hard and you struggle so, so much and you just get to the day where you get your diploma and you're like, yes, this is so much better. I've looked forward to this day and it's even better than what I thought it was. Or maybe for you, you think about, you know, your, your, your wedding day and I remember the first day, first time I saw Hannah in her dress, I was just speechless. And just couldn't, couldn't, couldn't. I was just overcome by how beautiful she looked. And that whole day and the reception was just a blast, far greater than what I ever could have imagined, being blessed by friends and family and all those things. Um, or the first time, maybe for you, that you've held uh, your baby, I remember holding Avi for the first time and just knowing that she's yours and just being overcome with emotion of like, oh, I knew Having, having, a, having a kid was going to be amazing, but nothing like this. Um, I don't know what it might be for you, but I feel like that somewhat is kind of the same uh, idea of what happens for us with the disciples. Jesus, throughout His ministry, throughout the Gospels, many a times has talked about His future departure, what He is going, that He's going to be going back to the Father, And for now, then, the the disciples uh, get to see him actually ascend and go back to be with his father. And in that, they find great joy because that's no—that he gets to be with his father. uh, And and they continue to worship him and bless him. And so I think— you know, it's interesting as we as we are going to talk about the Ascension today, I don't know about you, but um, it's not a topic that I have talked a lot about or even learned a lot about in seminary. Uh, we kind of gloss over it a little bit as like, oh yeah, the Lord ascended, He's back into heaven. Great. All right, moving on uh, to the next thing. And so um, we're going to talk several things, but first I think it's important to see how Jesus talks about the Ascension before we kind of get into that. Um, and, and I think it's important to think if, if Jesus would have died after his resurrection, how that would have discredited his resurrection in, in the first place. And so he had to be ascended um, in order um, for everything in the midst of his resurrection to be true. And I think um, as we see Jesus talking about his ascension, it's another reminder for us to see that Jesus' words are true and fulfilled in what he says so in the book of Luke, which we've been going through, Luke 9, 31 says this, at the transfiguration where he was with Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus and they spoke with him about his departure, which Jesus was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And then t- 20 verses later in Luke nine fifty one, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And then in the midst of his uh, kind of crucifixion leading up to the crucifixion uh, being tested. He says this in Luke 22, 67 through 69. If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And so these verses remind us that Jesus knew where his whole earthly life was headed. And it was back to being with his father which he had been through at the beginning of time. And so as Jesus fulfills his task that he came to earth for, through his ascension, I'll be talking about three different things. First one is Jesus' asc- ascension shows us his sacrificial work on earth was acceptable to the Father. Uh, number two, Jesus' ex- Ascension, man, that word is just rough. Uh, ascension allows Jesus to sit at the right hand of the Father and intercede for us on our behalf. And number three, Jesus' ascension had to happen in order for Jesus to go prepare a place for us, for those who follow him. So, number one, shows Jesus' work was acceptable to the Father. Number two, allows Jesus to intercede for us. Number three, prepares a place for his followers. So the ascension is somewhat the the grand finale of Jesus' earthly life. It's everything um, kind of culminated. It's his resurrection fully embraced and being accepted into the Father. Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so, obviously, his goal uh, in whole coming to earth was making purification for sin so that we could have a relationship with the Father, and he accomplished that on the cross that we've talked about the last several weeks. Um, and so, as we think about his ascension, is it meant a lot of different things. It meant that the suffering was done for Jesus, that he no longer had to suffer. It meant that he was able to be able, as he ascended, to have the highest honor that anybody could ever have Sitting at the right hand of God the Father, the creator of the universe. And it also um, goes back to understanding that his glory, um, his death was necessary for his glory. Luke twenty four twenty six says, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Jesus' death was necessary for that to happen. And so I want you to think with me because this picture just stirs my affections for the Lord. It stirs my affections for God And seeing this picture. And so if you would just um, put up with me for a minute in the midst of closing your eyes and imagining this scene with me. Some of the words are a little old-fashioned, but I just think this is a beautiful picture. While Jesus blessed, he parted. Incarnate love. Crucified love, risen love, now on the wing for heaven, waiting only for those odorous gales which were to waft him to the skies, going away in benedictions, that in the character of the glorified, enthroned love, he might continue his benedictions, but yet in higher form until he comes again. And oh, if angels were so transported at his birth into the scene of tears and death, the cross, what must have been their ecstasy as they welcomed and attended him far above all heavens into the presence chamber and conducted him to the right hand of the majesty on high. Thou hast an everlasting right, O oh my Savior, to that august place. The brightness of the cool Father's glory enshrined in our nature hath won it well. For he hath poured out his soul unto death and led captivity captive, receiving gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Thou art the King of glory, O Christ. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. You may open up your eyes, but I, I love that picture and thinking about the picture of the Father's face and... Uh, His warm, proud view of the Father as His Son returns, accomplishing all that Jesus had uh, accomplished here on earth for us and for Him. And I love it because that is such a beautiful picture of Jesus coming back and sitting and being at the most powerful place. And I think as we think about this, no wonder the disciples, as they knew some of these things, no wonder they ended up worshiping Jesus and going back to the temple and continually praising God. As you think about Jesus sitting up on high as the crowning achievement, as the crowning moment, as the grand finale of his life, that he's sitting on high, accomplished all the good things, and his Father is satisfied with him. What a beautiful picture. And so not only do we see that Jesus' ascension was the satisfaction of his Father as he allowed him to come and sit at the right, right hand of the Father, but also that it provides a gift for us. Uh, for him sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us on our behalf. There's a couple of verses in the New Testament, two from Hebrews and one from home, uh, Romans that I want to read that, that just kind of reiterates um, this truth. Hebrews nine twenty four says, For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And Romans 8, 34, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. In Hebrews seven twenty-five, consequently, Jesus is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is our advocate. He intercedes for us on our behalf. And I love as you think about that, what a gift. What a gift that Jesus, who knows what it's like to be one of us, who was tempted and tried in every way, and yet is now at the Father, interceding for us on our behalf, continuing the great love that He showed showed with us on earth here on the cross, dying for our sins, and yet continues to show us that great love by interceding for us in heaven. Isn't that awesome? Jesus, the Son of God, prays for you and me and sits at the most powerful place in the universe. And I think sometimes if these things are true, which we know them to be, why do we get so flustered and frustrated by life? If we know and believe that Jesus is where he is, don't we know that he's going to take care of us? And I wonder how would that change if we allowed that truth to seep into our hearts deeper and deeper in our minds every day? How would that change the way we live? Would we be able to give up control and not hold so tightly to our schedules and expectations? Would we be able to truly rest knowing that since Jesus is interceding for us, we don't have to strive and try to find our value in something that's not Him? Would we be able to let go of what other people think of us, knowing that Jesus is interceding for us, and to know that he will take care of our relationships, and that we are known and covered by by his blood? And that got me further thinking, is I wonder what Jesus is interceding for me or for you right now. I mean, one of the big things that he talks about is he's our mediator, the mediator between God and man, that he is the only one who provides forgiveness of sins. And so he asks for our forgiveness for all the ways every day we mess up and fall short of his glory. So that's one thing we know that he's interceding for us. But when I think about Jesus interceding for us, what often comes to my mind is, oh, praying for comfort or praying for strength to endure the things and the circumstances of life or what, what throws our way. But I think maybe sometimes uh, I'm sure that he is praying for those things because we all need those things. But I wonder if it even goes a step further, and he, he's interceding, interceding for us with things that I don't often think or maybe even don't want him to be interceding for us. Like maybe it's, Father, help Ben die to himself. Help him let go of all those desires and places in his heart where, uh, that are above me. You know, I was reminded at our presbytery that we had this weekend, which as an aside, I am so thankful for our denomination. It is so inspiring and exciting to be with other pastors and elders from our denomination, uh, to worship together and to just be reminded and excited about the Great Commission and what God is doing in our world and to join him in that. It's just a great weekend. But there, uh, one of the pastors talked about John twelve twenty four through 25, which says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I wonder, since this is on Jesus' heart, multiple times you see basically that same truth in the Gospels is... Jesus praying for us not to love our lives here on earth, but to love our life in heaven that he has made for us. You know, I'm thankful for whatever Jesus is interceding for me. I know that it's, and for you, that it's the best of what it could be, but I love that he's praying for us on our behalf to the Father. And again, as I think, as the disciples knew some of these things, as they knew, as Jesus talked about being able to be in the Father and inter- interceding for us, that they worshiped him. Again, it was wor- worthy of their worship, knowing that God is interceding, that Jesus is interceding for us on our behalf, and it's worthy of ours as well. So not only do we see Jesus interceding for us, but now coming to the place that Jesus has gone ahead of us and is preparing a place, a home for us with his, him and his Father in heaven. But before I do that, one of the things in the midst of our culture, there's a lot of ideas about heaven. There's a lot of ideas about what is it like, who, you know, is it, is it, is it a place? Is it a condition? Is it a state? And so I want to talk very briefly about some clarity that the Bible gives us in understanding these things. Um, first, the Bible talks about heaven being a dwelling place where created beings, angels, saints, and the risen Christ all are. And these take up space. And so it makes sense that heaven is an actual locale. Throughout the Bible, heaven and earth are repeatedly placed in juxtaposition, meaning that they are often placed side by side together as a comparison. And so it wouldn't make sense for a comparison to be made with one being a locale and another being a state or a condition. And the Bible talks about this in our Old Testament reading in Psalm 138 as being heaven upward and hell downward. And so it makes sense again to describe them Um, as being, as a comparison. And Revelation 21 talks so clearly about the walls and the streets and the gates and the throne that it's hard for us to think of anything else than it being a locale. And so sometimes in the midst of especially Buddhism or other places where we hear of nirvana, of getting a state or a condition of that, uh, that's not the same heaven that our Bible Um, and as we're talking about Jesus ascending, that's not the same uh, place. And so I just want that to be clear because I think that's important for us, uh, especially as we go ahead and talk about Jesus preparing a heavenly home for us. Uh, John 14, one through three says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where i am you may be also you know if the session didn't happen there would be no place for us in heaven or not a prepared place that jesus has for us to bring home us home with him and his father and again in philippians our new testament passage talks about our citizenship is not here on earth and we shouldn't be focused on earthly things but our citizenship is in heaven our home is in heaven and so we see in both of those passages, John 14 and the Philippians 3, that Jesus will come again, but until that day, we wait His coming and the glorious transformation of our bodies. And Pastor Dave talked about that last week, about how amazing it was. Jesus was, uh, the doors were locked, and yet He was able to come into where the disciples were, go through walls with His glorious body, and eat broiled fish. and it's going to be incredible. But it's interesting as we talk about Jesus going to prepare a place for us as he ascended, that our home is in heaven because our true home, a place of joy, a place of rest, and a place of peace is what God has for us. You know, and I will tell you in preparing the sermon, um, there's a lot of things that the Lord, um, a mentor of mine said, uh, that God takes us to the proverbial woodshed from time to time as we go through his scripture and as it brings conviction to our hearts. Um, God's lot brought a lot of conviction to me, Um, and we'll talk a little little bit more about it, but um, already in the midst of where is my perspective, where is my hope, where am I putting my energies toward And I think if we really think about our home being in heaven, then we are going to need to have an eternal perspective, one that characterizes every day of our life. And I I think if we have and are living with an eternal perspective, we will see things differently. We'll see money as a gift from God to accomplish His purposes instead of our own. We'll see our time being spent on eternal things like our relationship with God, His word and investing in others who are eternal. Uh, and which makes me think about ponder with a pastor last week, Pastor Dave talked about, why are we so busy? It makes me think about, are we busy with the things in our lives that are temporary and earthly? Or are we busy with the things that are eternal? What in your life are you putting more of your time, your money and your thoughts? into that's temporary because God calls us as his followers to give him glory 1 Corinthians ten thirty one says so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do it all to the glory of God is God's glory the driving motivation for your life right now I think if we have eternal perspective it's gotta be but if it's not why not And if you need to talk to the Lord this week, like I have about repenting of all the ways that I have not lived in the ways that he wants me to, becoming way too focused and consumed by the things of this earth instead of the things of heaven, then I encourage you to do that. Because the truth is that if we have an eternal perspective, then we're going to be focused on heaven where there's a place where there's no more tears and no death, And we'll be full of the Lord, and our worship will be full like the disciples were as they saw Jesus going up into heaven. You know, in the midst of all these things that God desires for us, interceding for us and making seeing him at the powerful throne of the right of the Father and having an eternal perspective. We can't do that on our own. There's no way because of the sin that's in our heart and the sin that's in our lives. But Jesus did what we cannot. You know, as, as, as we've talked about Jesus' ascension, it's become very clear in my own heart that there are many truths for us to be challenged by. And amazingly, Jesus lived every one of them perfectly. He lived a perfectly submitted life to his Father while he was on the earth. He lived with an eternal perspective because the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. He was not concerned with building a home. He wasn't concerned with the things that we so often are but was concerned about doing the will of his father. He cared more about pleasing his father than he did anyone else. He made time for those who were unlovable, like lepers and prostitutes and other people who were demon-possessed. He invested in in the lives of others so they may be built up uh, his kingdom. And he was able to make time in his busy schedule to get away and spend time with his father and find true rest. He lived the perfect life here on earth in every way and died on our behalf for the sacrifice for our sins according to the plan of his father. And in his death, according to John, he bore much fruit and he was the first one to hear from his father, well done, good and faithful servant. And the truth is that we can do none of those things in our own power apart from Christ. And so we repent of all the ways that we fall short and believe in faith that God will use his spirit and the power that he gives us to live out that way, to have an eternal perspective, to live with the knowledge that he is interceding for us every day, nonstop. And he's gonna help us understand that our lives are not our own, but they've been brought with a price. And oh Lord, would you help us live like that? Jesus' ascension is the culmination of his earthly work, the approval of Jesus' work by his Father, the continuation of God showing his children through his love, through his intercession, and preparing us a place as Father. All of these truths should help us keep an eternal perspective so that we're not focused and investing in ourselves in the things of this earth and not in the things of heaven. And I don't want us to forget that that proud look on the Father's face when Jesus came home is the same way that he looks at us because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Not because of anything we've done, but because of the work of his Son. And even though the, Jesus was, the disciples knew that Jesus was going back to the Father, the worship that flowed out of them um, in that moment and the joy that they felt was enormous because they knew that Jesus was going back to where he he was from and that he could experience the incredible joy of his father being with them. And so may our worship and that perspective be true of us as well. Let us pray. God, thank you that you sent your son perfectly to fulfill all of the things that you had for him here on earth. God, and thank you that your satisfaction with him is the same satisfaction that you have with us because of what he did on our behalf. And God, I pray that if there's anybody who's struggling or doesn't know how much that you loved him through the cross, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself today and even have a conversation with somebody here today so that they could know the gift of the salvation that comes through your son. And God, for all of us who do know you, Lord, keep our eyes focused on heaven and on you. Give us that eternal perspective, Lord, and help us in the midst of our own wills to deny ourselves so that we might bear much fruit in the midst of the death um, that we experience. God, we love you. Thanks for this time. We pray all these things in the powerful name of your Son. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you can join us next week. God bless and have a great week.